Hello, my name's Gregory Wilker. Thank you for listening to my podcast, Live with Greg. Today is November 17th, 2019, and last night I learned that my podcast had way exceeded the resources I have to keep it alive as a video podcast. So I am actively working to move it to an audio podcast. The video is still available on my website, gregorywoker.com, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Live with Greg. Thanks for your support. another episode of Live with Greg. I'm here with Alex in his domicile, his environment, which is a very cool environment, as I've said. Thank you. You're welcome. So to continue our conversation, <laughs> we had a prologue off camera. So this is the conundrum for me. Like we can easily look at slavery and apartheid as mistakes and the and the alleviation of that existence is a positive in my mind evolutionary process humanity is better off without those two aspects existing but as we were just talking about with cigarettes and diet is it a positive evolutionary process to say cigarette smoking is bad for you? Or is that more like the Kardashians? It's just this dramatic thing that's taking away our consciousness or moving it to something that really doesn't matter. Mm. I think of the role perspective plays in all of it and the perspective changes over time and so we could look back at what people were doing a couple of hundred years ago and think how in the world did they act that way in the same way that people a hundred years from now would look back at us and go what were you guys thinking you know and so on one hand I see people choosing the direction that they know is harmful but doing it, maybe, I'm guessing, to fulfill a, a need that they find to be greater. Like, the need to be successful is worth me stepping on the shoulders of other people. Because so, the need for success is measured by how much you can advance yourself against those other people. So, and you have a personal experience of knowledge with that? Like, there's someone you can think of right now where you're like, yeah... Jimmy or Sarah? Well, I think about my father. Uh, when I was four years old, my father decided to move to the United States from South Africa, and we stayed with my grandmother for a little bit, and we were thinking of, you know, living... My grandmother was in Florida at the time, and so, you know, to have the community, uh, family community, uh, was important, and we didn't have that in South Africa. And so we moved and we tried it for one year. And in that time, my dad realized it's too difficult to support a wife and a child, even though there was a grandmother there that could help, but she also was working. 
compared to South Africa, where you could take advantage of the black population, and it wouldn't be anything out of the ordinary because every other white person is doing it, and you just get comfortable and you realize that you are more prosperous because of it. And as much as you can just sort of block that out of your mind, you will choose that. And so my dad ended up going, we ended up going back to South Africa because he could have a lady working in the house that would take care of me, clean the house, cook food for us, and it would be pennies on the dollars that he was earning. And he would be able to afford everything that he wanted to in a middle class, with a middle class income. And so the, then the government provided, on the backs of the indigenous people, the government provided health and education. So it was so much cheaper for my dad just to have, to live in a propped up apartheid state where there's five blacks to each white and the blacks are doing all the labor for nothing while the whites are standing around with guns watching and also pushing and torturing in order to get things done. But um, how he's making this choice to go and support that system because of how that system can support his choices just because he's white. But he had to make that choice and he chose what I would say would be the wrong path and he did it for his own comforts or his own ease. Were you in South Africa when apartheid ended? I was. Um, I left South Africa right at the time that it was ending, right after Nelson Mandela was freed from jail and before uh, the government was officially said to be a part, no longer an apartheid state. Did you leave with your dad or did you leave of your own? My, my dad and I left. My dad gets up and changes his life every 10 years and so this is one of his moments where he, he got up and changed everything that was happening in his life and so he dragged me along with him. Did he leave because apartheid was ending? No, um, he didn't. Um, it was why my stepmother left a few years later. She got to this point where she wasn't feeling safe and she felt like she didn't know exactly what the indigenous population would do to the colonialists that were there. That They felt they had every right to the land. It was this God-given land and every right to subjugate the indigenous population and take advantage of the population and so she feared her life she told me the story of being on one of these you know these British double-decker red buses and so um, uh, there was a riot and uh, all the blacks were rioting in order to say stop business as usual and give us our civil rights and uh, Anyway, and some, some uh, black men got on the bus and basically was, they were just looking for white people to grab a hold of and express their anger and kick them out. And uh, so she didn't get caught. She hid underneath one of the chairs. Anyway, and she, after that, she made the decision to move and, and not go back. Um, and she loves South African 
there's something about South Africa that really speaks to her, and she wishes she could move back, but she feels it's unsafe as a white person. I think it's just unsafe for everybody, but I think um, with with that much oppressed anger, you know, the roles have reversed, and now whites are scared. What I've heard from listening to Bishop Desmond Tutu talk mm-hmm. is that it was a very trying transition, but ultimately a peaceful one, and that people are coexisting. Yeah, I think Nelson Mandela really tried to secure peace and avoid bloodshed on both sides, and I think, and I just wonder how he did it. I wonder how much of the transition, how much of making arrangements with the white powers that be, he had to, in order to secure safety. So 80% of the land is still owned by whites. Right now they're doing uh, land reappropriation, which I think is great to find a way. What is the system that works really well in society? It's obviously not apartheid. And as much as we've supported it, as much as countries have supported it, corporations have supported it, we know that it's not the right thing. In the same way that we know that monarchy is not the right system, but for some reason it's in the Bible as though monarchy is the system that we should all be under. We should have a King Solomon, a King David. I don't think that's the ultimate message of the Bible. No, but it's in there, and it's it's like it's okay. It's okay to have a king, which doesn't make sense that the king gets to rule the land and distribute land to his homies. Well, first of all, in my understanding of the Bible, there's an Old Testament and there's a New Testament. Yeah. And Jesus being Jewish mm-hmm. brought evolutionized the laws that the Jews were living by and, and part of that evolution was this is real for everybody there is no chosen people apart from everyone else everyone's chosen and in my mind, now this is where I might just be sticking my foot way down my throat, but I think there's even a quote of him saying, I'm the new law, when the rabbis um, were challenging what he's saying because they're saying, you know, look at the laws that are in, you know, because you hear a lot of, you know, oh, really, the Bible's real, so we're going to stone someone if they're adults. You take it literally, yeah. Right. And because that was happening at the time. Absolutely. Because of the, our perception at that time and our growth. And I think what, again, my belief, taking, you know, so this individual was saying, here's the new law. It's love. I don't know. Well, going back to what you were saying about There's part of me that believes that maybe Jesus was trying to save Jews not only from their own corruption in like the story of Jesus going into a, into a synagogue and, and and telling all the people that were doing business at the in the synagogue to stop doing that that this is a place of worship and at that time, the Roman Empire was taking over their society, and so I think 
Jesus was a Jew not only teaching Jews how far they've strayed away from their basic religious morals, but also I think he was also trying to persuade the Romans that if they believed in his religion as well, that they could all coexist. And you don't have to be born a Jew in order to go to heaven. You can, through me, you can go to heaven as well and believe in this, in this monotheistic religion that believes in the ideals of hierarchical systems like, mono, uh, like you know, having kings. And, <laughs> and then, so he was the, you know, he was the king, he was the lord, you know, and, and why those words? And then, I mean, it made sense in that day. But now when you have the ideals of Marx, you can look at the world in a different way. Or whoever, if you look at, you know, if you just look at how monks live. Well, I think there's even, lots of ways that we can live. I've just within this past week read this thing about the uh, people creating, in essence, the United States and the United States government. Mm. And in the time, part of the grand experiment was the people ruling themselves. So that was like the cornerstone a part of the thought process that they were creating. Yeah, how to self-govern. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that is... I, f I feel like we come to believe that capitalism is the best way to do it because it seems as though it is uh, non-biased. That if you, just, if you just go out there and you make your money and you can create this really safe place for yourself, but capitalism always shows that it's taking advantage of other people. So recently I thought, what's a great way, if you don't put a name on it, what's a really great way to have society? And one way is, if, what if we just took all the natural resources and did what we did and shared the money and whatever was left over, after everyone has a basic income, everyone has a home and a car and food and healthcare and education, then whatever's left over gets to be handed to the people that with the infrastructure that were was able to abstract the you know the minerals from the earth and turn them into Google phones and iPhones and, and now we get Wi-Fi technology and internet. I'm not I just think that we could just be a sharing economy, a true sharing economy, I think would be a really great thing. People tend to always want to find a way to profit. Like Uber could be a sharing economy where People are lending out their cars, um, but it's not. It's a for-profit business. How often do you ride your bike that's parked on the side of your house? Yeah. Uh, my scooter, I try to ride it at least once a week to keep the engine going. <laughs> so would it be okay for me to just come over and borrow it and yeah. do some... Yeah, absolutely. But what I I'm actually going to teach my brother-in-law how to drive a scooter, he asked, and so I'm really excited to get him to uh, learn how to ride it, but I'm always bummed out because it's a fossil fuel vehicle. I wish I could get away from fossil fuel. If I could afford it, I would do better, like get something electric, but you know, I don't have solar panels to make sure that my energy is coming from a good source. So uh, we were talking in our prologue off camera about that element of like beating oneself up and the pressure and stress and that living without stress is a healthier 
way yeah. for them. And how do you do that? Right, so, because what I just heard you say, there's an element of stress in what I heard you say. It's mm-hmm. like, I'm not doing enough. When actually you're doing a lot here. You're recapturing your rainwater. You're composting. You're growing a lot of your own food. There's a lot that you're doing. I'm, I'm, I'm for evolving. I'm for improving ourselves and the way we live. And I'm interested in how do we do that without the whip or the carrot and the stick? How do we do it in a really supportive manner? Well, I'm not smart enough to answer that question. Um, I think if we came from a place of caring for everybody around us, our environment, considering sustainability, um, considering uh, future generations, I would think that we could come up with a system where people are educated, aware, and excited about doing things in community with others and making the world a better place. When you use another entire nation of people based on their color to take advantage so that you could have a better lifestyle, to me it doesn't matter who your God is. What you are serving is your own interest in the worst way demonizing others and it could be, it could have been you. And how you don't see a person in somebody else is so sad. And I think that there is this urgency because the rate of our destruction is so great. So I do get stressed because I am doing these little things. You know, like reusing my gray water to grow plants isn't solving the world's problems at all. I might be putting less of a footprint, but I am stumbling and putting a footprint on everything. I'm destructive in my path as well when I buy gasoline. Um, I have stress when I think about flying on airplanes because of the amount of pollution and the support for a very smart, a smart, small, wealthy population that takes us to war so that we can have cheaper fuel to continue to fly the airplanes in. I war, war has existed forever. Like in indigenous cultures there was always the warring to protect or improve one's life. And the scale is very strong right now where we really are living very globally. So what could have been just a neighbor feud done with rocks and arrows and shotguns and now are national, you know, nation wars. There, you know, there's the dis- the capability of destruction is far beyond. It used to be like if you and I were neighbors and we're warring, 
you and I are probably, maybe our families, the only ones that are going to be injured. Now, if you and I as a nation are warring, there's a lot of people who really aren't involved that are being harmed. And so, I think. Sorry, you want to. Well, here's the thing. So it's the finishing thought in that is the seed in me. Like we're studying in the group that you and I do of fight and flight. You know, neither one of those are constructive and supportive to one's spirit and being. Mm -hmm. So in those moments, those where I'm experiencing fight or flight, I'm interested in how do I pull the weeds that are creating that impulse in me. I have a hard time sitting with the idea that it is natural for us to go to war. No, I think it's not natural. I think hurt people like to hurt people. And I think we go to war when we want more and we don't understand that there is a way to have a sharing community rather than a taking community. And the idea that if you would like to accumulate more, you do that by going to war, and the way you go to war is you get your people on board with whatever your religious movement is, or whatever the 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 false fight is, to to get people behind it. But I think it takes a tremendous amount of propaganda. I think it takes tremendous. And I don't think it's our natural state. But see, here's what I'm saying. This you're talking in a very broad sense now. You're talking about. You know, nations or religions or mass groups of people at war, and I'm saying that that is happening because of an impulse in an individual. Wars are created by sparks, just like a fire, and the spark in me that is fight or flight sparks a fire. And I can spark you, and now we're creating a fire, and then others get involved, and then there's a riot, and then there's a war, and the you know the the bigger the fire, the bigger. Yeah, I can see how some fights start with a spark, but I also see society's tendency to slowly get you to think about yourself first. So, you know, the businessman that goes to war on Wall Street fighting commodities around the world, I don't think is serving the world in a good way. I think he's promoting war by destabilizing economies or they're changing the price of wheat so that other countries can't afford to grow it anymore. Um, I think of this slow, passive idea that the powers that be seem to have, that there is this idea of going to world wars so that there is one nation that comes up ahead. And when one nation does get ahead, they have to fight to maintain it. So it was the British and now it's the Americans. And I think that there is no spark. It is just the general consensus of we 
have to succeed. Our greed takes over, and it's not just about having a little bit, it's about having a tremendous amount. And this idea of infinite growth in a free market doesn't make sense when you live in a bubble in the universe. And I think we have to start looking at what do I do every day in my microcosmos that affects the macro and vice versa, how can you create a macro world that affects us in our day-to-day? So instead of me going working for an oil company because I need to keep my family provided with a home and clothing and schooling and education and so on, instead of me thinking like that, why not think of how I, if I took a different job that was working for a sustainable company and how that growth would help my kids' life versus driving them to school, competing with other moms or other dads, getting that kid in that school to compete with other children, and the whole time I'm just burning fossil fuels and taking over lives of other people in other countries because they have the natural resources that I need to help my kid. And we're doing all of this without really thinking about the damage that we're doing, and when you're being told about the damage, you still aren't doing it. And I think that that has to do with this slow buildup, this education that we've given ourselves to tell us that this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to build up a huge military to protect ourselves from invaders, which isn't really true. We're not. We're supposed to break down walls and and share with them so that our neighbors know that they can come over and borrow sugar. They don't need to steal it. Yeah, okay, let's go to... And then how do you eliminate the sparks? That's what... So, my acceptance of being told something is because it resonates as true for me. Even if it's misguided, as an example, your father moving back to South Africa because he knew he could provide for his family better there than he was experiencing in Florida. So, This sounds so lame. This just popped into my head. It's ultimately, I think we have to have faith in something bigger than ourselves. And and it could just be simply the collective humanity. That, like, if I come over and borrow your scooter and you're not home, but, you know, based on what you just said earlier, a neighbor could come over and borrow sugar instead of taking it. I trust that you know me well enough and I know you well enough where I can borrow your scooter. And you'll come home and go, oh, my scooter's gone. Wonder when it'll be back. What if it doesn't come back? Now you've just lost something that you cared about. And you're like, well, now next scooter, I'm going to protect it. No, Greg, you know what? You can't borrow the scooter anymore. It didn't work. And you start shutting it down. I want to change that way of thinking for myself and and I don't know if it'll change in others but I think that if something of mine is stolen it's because maybe that person needed it and I need to work on letting go of more things 
So I'm not saying I'm opening up my house so that people can come and steal. You know, I'm accumulating things and building, you know, on what I own and having as George uh, Carlin was it would say that you know it's, uh, we just have stuff and then we buy more stuff so that we can put our stuff in that right, stuff right, that's and that's right. and I find that this is just a paradigm that we're taught and that we need to change that I think we have this idea of just going for what you need and you're not worrying about what your impact is I wish that things were so expensive and out of my reach because the true value is being represented in that cost. So when I go and buy gasoline, am I including the cost of cleaning up the air? Am I including the cost of cleaning up everything that is built around the car? Um, I go back to gasoline and I just think about societies. I think about the story of the Rockefellers supporting prohibition so that the Model T Ford would be built not on ethanol, but on petroleum because they own Standard Oil. And in so doing, they sped up global warming by a thousand years. And it was just because they were looking at themselves more so, their own interests more so than everybody else. And what they were willing to do was totally accepted by society. Have you ever seen the shrewd business people? Have you ever seen that commercial that I think it was done in England for bicycle safety? And there's two teams, one's dressed in white, one's in black, and the team, each team has a ball, and they pass the ball to each other, and it says, you know, the commercial says, how many times does the white team pass the ball to themselves? Mm. So both teams are passing the balls and they're mixing up. Have you ever seen that? Well, I can carry on. It's far better to experience, but yeah. for the sake of this, I'll just tell you. So the, it ends. There's, you know, like 10 seconds of them doing that. It ends, and it goes, the answer was 13. Hmm. But did you see the dancing bear? <laughs> and then it rewinds real fast, and it plays again. And sure enough, there's a guy in a bear costume, and because it's dark, and he goes dancing through this group. And I remember when I first saw it, I was like, fuck, no, I did not see the dancing bear. And part of what, and then the commercial ends saying, you can't see what you're not aware of. Yeah. And that's kind of the crux of this whole thing. Because you focus on the ball. Right. Like, what you and I, like, part of what we were talking about earlier with partnerships, you know, and you talking about, like, your marriage and, mm-hmm. and the, in the evolutionary process as an individual is your blind sides come to light sometimes in a furious manner. Yeah. Especially if you don't like that part of yourself. Right. Yeah. Or if you're just shocked by it. Like, if it yeah. triggers your fight or flight. Right. You know? But what a fucking blessing. Because that blind side might have gone for, you know, if we believe in um, lifetimes, could have yeah. gone on for a few lifetimes. Yeah. Well, I think about how much freeze affects me. This fight, flight, and I think of freeze, and I think of the overwhelming problem that the world is facing, and my reaction to it is just freezing. And just sort of 
take care of myself. <laughs> go, you know, go recycle. And that's taking care of myself. <laughs> rather than like, holy, there's this like wave coming, this global warming wave coming, and I'm not even paying attention to that. I'm complaining about who the president is. Versus, right. versus I'm, what is the I, what is the ball that I'm focusing on? Right. And, and I think uh, in relationships, I need to focus on myself more than my partner and what is bugging me. And in society, I need to focus on society more because society will take care of me. And so when, how do you know what the ball is supposed to be? And I think it will, what is the greater good? I think what we're learning in the group is flipping that. Focus on you. Right. And and so, like, if I'm... Well, you if, take care of yourself so that you're not dependent on other people for taking care of you, I think is a component. Yes. Yes. So you can Absolutely. take care of yourself. Self, yeah, self-parent. Autonomy. Self-parent. Absolutely. Self-love. And part of what I love is, like, when I was driving here, this person, I don't even know if they cut me off, but they were driving really slow. I didn't like yeah. the way they were driving, and I yelled, you know. I didn't, they don't know it. That's so part easy. of what I yeah. noticed yeah. about the safety of the car. The car, yeah. So what you me, get to be like, what is going on in me that compelled that reaction? Because that's a fight, you know. That's like... Yeah. And, and if I actually was with the person and they witnessed what I did, they might pop me in the nose yeah. because I was so like, you know. Yeah, and then what would you be uh, thinking or feeling at that moment? Right, and, but here's what I did notice. I was late coming here. Like I had the potential of arriving here late yeah. because of my choice. Right. And um, I didn't leave early enough. Right. So I had that going through me. And what if you were thinking about global warming? You would have left yesterday so that by the time you arrived here on foot or bicycle or whatever it is. Except I wouldn't have taken my daughter to gymnastics class. I know. And, and, the, but here, and then where would she be? Then right. you would be an awful parent for not doing that. Right. And that's part yeah. of the... Um, How we punish ourselves. Yes, and also the Mobius strip of choice. You know, like, if I don't go to the store for my wife and pick this up for her because I said I would, mm -hmm. you know, then I'm creating trouble. But if I get in my car and drive, I'm creating trouble. And, and we can box ourselves in so quickly yeah. where it's a no-win situation. Yeah. And now we're stressed. I think it's so hard to get out of that, our mindset. Yeah. And um, that the idea of mindfulness, <laughs> and, you know, to consider the whole. And so, you know, you just get stuck in these rat races and it's about like the here and now and the shortcuts to get there. A lot of times you don't think about the driving process. You just think about, I'm going from A to B and I need to get to B and that's all you're thinking about. And in the process, you're cutting people off and you realize you're in a world that isn't safe or you think of it as not being safe, and so you're willing to do things that contribute actually to that, versus trying to make it a safer world and take your time and allow other people to go and assert yourself when you need to. It's like uh, you look at the difference between people driving in Europe versus the United States. It's like, this is my lane! In some European towns, they don't even have lanes. They're just driving. It's about like, 
I'm trying to get there. Oh, you want to go? Then go ahead. Oh, are you, you're stalling for a second? Good. I'm going to go ahead of you. And sometimes I put the gas and I get myself ahead of the crowd. And sometimes I slow down and let them kind of go. And uh, find, And we, I, we, I feel like in this country it's about I have my right to this big lane and my big car. And, and it's, it's about what, what am I trying to obtain what my what my short term goals are versus the process of it all and how can I be the best and so you get to be as angry as you want to be in that car you get to yell and scream <laughs> you know I thought about someone the other day that said that the car is where they practice their singing and I thought what a wonderful way to experience that time that you're going from A to B it's not about anger it's not about what everyone else is doing it's about I get to just sort of sit and let my chords go <laughs> you know and I thought there was something really cool about that. And what a great way to deal with the stresses of driving. And we're just so used to these stresses in our life that we don't even know when we've got a thorn in our side because we just think that this is just what normal is supposed to be. I think about that, how we make things normal that are just so not normal, like apartheid, South Africa and how I grew up in this world that it was, everyone was doing it. It just seemed normal. And it, and no one looked at the homeless kids sniffing glue on the side of the freeway. You just kind of block that out. You know, San Francisco, tech giant city of the world, and the homeless population is insane. And you just drive right by that, you put your blinders on, I'm just trying to get there, I'm going to listen to my music louder, you just block out everything that you don't want to block out, and you live in this perceived world where the underlying stresses, I think, are really, are so big, and how do you deal with those, and not only you stay healthy, but to like, how do you support a healthy society in general? Part of what I've been working with for myself is what am I doing when I'm stressed, when I'm feeling like not happy, not good, stressed out. And I woke up this morning, not a good day. Mm -hmm. And is that going to color my whole day? Mm -hmm. The idea of having a bad day because you had a bad morning. Right. And, and can I, like, can I be kind... This is this example just popped into my head, so it's not real. Okay, mm -hmm. it's a storybook. But like, if if I'm in a place where like I'm aggravated with you and pissed off in that state, is it possible for me to give to you for real? Not not as like a show mm -hmm. or like oh, I'm going to do this so that, you know. Like truly, still come from the heart and compassion, while in a state of angst and anger, and that to me seems like true samurai mastery of self. Yeah. Yeah. I think about what what has been taught to you that's more important is the way you're handling someone more important than what it is that you're trying to achieve, and it's this perception that we're taught that. Sometimes in order for you to do something, you might have to get loud at a person or give somebody the finger while you're driving in the car in order for you to get what you want. 
or to, or to feel heard or be seen. And it's just this, it's just our perception of what we're being taught. That in order for me to be heard, I can yell at my wife. Or vice versa, she can yell at me in order for me to see her. And what's happening in that moment, there's like, if you're yelling at her, is your need to matter right. not being met? It's my own perception of what's going on. Right. Perception, like you started this off with that. Perception. It's easy to blame other people, right? Perception. Which is yeah. what I think it's, I think we have to change that perception. I think it's really important to think of the world in micro and macro and to try and consider what is the universal right. I think because I grew up in such a violent world, I started at a very young age to look at the world in right and wrongs, and there was no gray. And I love that quote by Rumi, you know, in the world of black and white, I'll meet you in the middle, and in the world of wrong and right. And I just never understood the possibility of gray. I just felt like I had to choose, there has to be a universal right. What is the universe? And what you find is that the universe doesn't care how many mass extinctions there are in the earth. And yet, we don't even care about the mass extinctions on the earth, living on the earth. And how much of this, how much of our perception is changing what we do and the constructs that we have are affecting us and killing us because we might think something is right when it actually isn't. And what is gray is to stay sort of neutral and not think of right and wrong, but maybe what is more a better universal approach. What is the way of, you know, species go extinct, okay? Well, what's a way to understand extinction What's a way to allow things to go extinct in a natural form versus in this unnatural? And what is the difference between natural and unnatural? Which gets so confusing. And I think that we can only, you can only have this perception if you're constantly working on it. And I think we get lazy. I think we just, just want to go to work and I want to get down with work and I want to relax in my home and I want to have a home, etc. Rather than thinking about this whole idea of work. And why do we do it this way? Why aren't we working four hours a day for four days a week versus eight hours a day, five days a week? Why do we do this ourselves? Why do you see people that are making over $150,000 working for a tech firm working, you know, 80 hours a week? What's their fight to try and survive? And there's this fear, you know, am I going to lose my job? And we create these constructs of fear so much easier than these constructs of community. And we just, I think, we do it so easy because everybody's doing it. And how to stop everybody from going that same direction. If there's enough fish trying to swim upstream, does it get the general population to start going upstream? Or do you just take the easy route and go downstream because you think that's what you're supposed to do. And I wonder how to create change. Whenever I talk to people, I always like to throw in my two cents about my perception and for some reason I think I'm right. And my way is the right way. <laughs> There's a song by 10CC called 
uh, I think it's called Rule the World or Be, Be a Boss. Anyway, that one of the choruses, everyone's going to be free, but they have to agree to be free. They have to agree to be less free than me because I rule the world, you see. <laughs> exactly. It's a lot easier if I was the dictator. <laughs> <laughs> We'd all be happy if we did it my way. <laughs> I, know. I know. I know somebody that said, uh, that said, well, if it was up to me, I would make a great, you know, socialistic style government. And the first thing I would do is I would just kill all the people in government right now and start over again. And I just thought, that's like the worst thing you could do. How do you start with such a, you know, well, that's such a horrible way? Well, that's how started and, you know, all the revolutions. I know, we look at, we like praise Che Guevara for being the revolutionary man that he was, but he was a, he was a trained fighter. Yeah. That, that took people to war, um, and then you know you ask yourself, well, did you know did Gandhi was Gandhi able to do it? Was you know was Desmond Tutu able to do it where he fought for peace? Here's what I've um, appreciated in learning more about heroes in my life, like Mother Teresa, Desmond Tutu, Gandhi, Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King. Versus Malcolm X. Well, versus the Malcolm X, who was in no, his Malcolm earlier. X is one of my heroes. And again, he was part of what a freedom fighter in general. What I appreciate, but a nonviolent fighter. Evolutionary process, all of them. You know, like you can tear apart all of them. Gandhi's known to have beat his wife. <laughs> yeah. Martin Luther King's known to have many affairs. Malcolm X was a pimp and drug user and hated white people when he first joined the black Muslims. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's some great stories with Mother Teresa. And you wonder if they lived longer or would they have corrected their ways? Well, they were. That's yeah. what I mean. Yeah. They, Malcolm X contributed an immense amount of power to black people and them believing uh, in themselves and yeah. that they were equal and maybe even more equal than because these fuckers, you know. But Malcolm X is known when he came back from the, I forget what it's called, when you go to the mosque in the Middle East, uh, the Great Oh, the, Is it the Hassad? Uh, no. Anyway, yeah. he's known in his speeches that have come back from there and gone, oh, wait a minute. I just was with all brethren, you know, of yeah. all races, colors, creeds. Mm. We are one people. Pilgrimage. Right. That, and so, and it was just shortly after that that he was shot. Yeah. Um, I like this concept that we are being, so you are not Greg, you are Gregging. <laughs> because you're not the same Greg as before. Right. You're in the process. And in your case, because I know you well enough, you're always in self-discovery. And so you are evolving. And Greg today is going to be different than Greg tomorrow. And I love that because it does allow us to start a whole new roll of the dice every single moment. You get to be who you want to be. You get to change how you perceive the world and how you want to interact with it at any moment. And so do you want to be king? Do you want to be the CEO? Do you want to be the helper, the worker? Do you want to the caretaker? You know, versus... And what judgments whatever. are we putting on all those roles? 
There's a great Prince line yeah. where he's in essence saying, are you putting me down because I'm rich? And mm. just simply because I'm rich, am I now the bad guy? Yeah. Well, so that's an interesting question. If you are rich, that means you have accumulated a lot of wealth compared to other people. So are you, in essence, you know, you think about that world of right and wrong. It's confusing, but at the same time, I wonder if there is a way to be rich and it's okay. Or is it not? Because we should be sharing your wealth. I'll tell you this. I, it's a lot nicer in first class than regular seating. But don't you think that the whole plane should have nothing but first class seats? What's nice about the socialistic bus that the town pays for, your tax to pay for, is that handicapped people get to get front row seats. The best seats in the house are for the people that need it the most, not the person that has the most amount of money. And I love that about the bus. That everybody has to be able to get on the bus and everybody has to be able to get a seat before the bus goes to the next stop. And I love that idea where it's much more fair than this concept of, well, because I have more money, I get to have better service, better seating, better access to the plane. It's just this unfair world that's propped up by people that believe that it's okay to have this accumulation of wealth and therefore power. Why is it okay? It just occurred to me that we are in an evolutionary process. And, and to continually choose evolution instead of revolution. Because revolution is put upon. Evolution is organically grown. And as you said about me, like you see me continually evolving and looking at myself, blah, blah, blah which is very kind, we're in that process. You're in that process. Everyone's in that process. Mm -hmm. Even our president is in that process. And I have read just, like I think it may have been yesterday where someone wrote, you know, fuck him. He, he, he is, there is no self-reflection there. That individual is just merely... Can I get my dick sucked and what can I do next? And and that's where this author was with that. And, and, and right now what I'm thinking is, can we hold it all? Can I hold that author? Can I hold our president? Can I just hold us all together? Like it's all, you're not right or wrong, that's your opinion. You're not right or wrong, that's your opinion. And... Ultimately, our evolutionary process is to alleviate suffering and pain. Uh, yeah, I think so. I just wonder if we're moving fast enough. Ah! <laughs> That's a revolutionary thought. Yeah, I mean, you know, I love the idea that in, an, in, a, in a world where time can stand still for a moment to sit and hold Trump in his moment and help him be the better man um, and myself to sit and hold myself when I'm sometimes going a step back before two steps ahead that it's okay that my being is is okay um, I just the, the, the 
extreme destructiveness as society as a whole, I think is just, I just don't know if we're working fast enough to create the change before we self-destruct. And I, I keep thinking about this world, world, word civilization and how civil are we? Um, we don't really, we're getting further and further away from the idea of having a civilized society. I think more and more so. We don't, you know, we... we See, I think we're in this evolutionary process. I don't believe Maybe it's a step back to go two steps ahead, but if you really considered um, civilization, so nations of people that are acting civilized, there would be no need for war, and there would be no need for greed. There would be it would be a much sharing it would be a sharing economy. It would be the, the idea of economy would change. I think that's where we're going. I think that's and and think of this. Think of evolution as an infinite process. I think you're going there, but I think there are millions of people that are joining the class dominant society you know you want to become a cop so that you can reinforce the laws and you want to become a politician so you can change the laws in your favor and then you got the cops basically working for corporations but I don't just, and that movement but that movement is moving people that movement is cops because they want to help people you, they do initially but then what they find out when they are a cop is that they're helping the man so think about it from the perspective um The snowman. <laughs> the snowman's gonna melt. <laughs> I just think the rate, the amount of people that are moving. If you think of all small nations, all they want to do is they want to become like a developed nation. And so, what do they do? They do it through fossil fuel extraction. Um, so the whole way in which we find ourselves trying to prop ourselves up is destructive. And we have to come up with a different way. And we are perpetuating that destructiveness so much faster than we are creating a peaceful society. We, every single nation in the world invests more money in fossil fuels than in um, renewable energy. That is self-destructive. That doesn't make any sense to me at all, knowing that we're continuing to have children. It's all... See, again, this is the evolutionary aspect that I see it. It's like an avalanche. There's, there's an immense amount of energy collected en route. It's happening. It's energy. It is action. It's happening. The evolutionary process is a transformation of that energy and there's always the potential for what one would say is a miracle where that energy is transformed in a moment instead of over a natural long period of time. That's a miraculous event. And that's going into a realm I know nothing about. But what you're talking about, like fossil fuel, let's take that. We are putting energy into the changing of that. There are more electric cars on the roads today than there were six months ago. It's 
and there's an immense amount of energy that will transform for fossil fuel to no longer be the resource for energy for life. The rate of that is happening slow, if not, if, if at all, because solar panels aren't making solar panels. We're doing, we're burning fossil fuels to make solar panels. Even if the entire population of the world stopped using fossil fuels and we all used renewable energies, we would still be causing global warming because there's just too many people. So then that makes you think, it, then that makes you think, how do you stop population growth and do it in a way that, that you're not judging yourself in the negative. I'll tell you how. Like, so China says, no, no. A one, a one, you're allowed to have a one-child rule. But in the rest of the world just looked at that and looked at how inhumane that was. But what about having a population that is so big that you can't sustain life at all because you're having to be so destructive in order to keep your population alive? So you have little wars and you just no. okay population. So if you look at population growth, even World War One and World War Two were not even big enough of a population then for it to cause a slowdown in the rate of growth. We're just growing at an insanely, at an amazing level. You've got this analogy How do you and belief that change. Well, what's yes. my wait? What is my belief? You think that there's too many people, and the crux of our problems. This population. So I'm not smart enough to think. <laughs> I think I'm smart enough to take what other people are thinking and repeat it badly. That's not true. <laughs> so I look at what scientists say. I think instead of our society being run by politicians, it should be run by the professors at the universities. And in dialogue with students all day questioning how society should be run every day and implementing it from those universities, creating sustainable long-term growth in a positive direction, not the way we do it now. Universities have their issues as well. And there is a lot of issues that I believe, now here's where we start getting into my shimpe. have you heard that term? No. Yeah. Shimpe? It's like... Shimpen? Shimpe. I'm probably Shimpe. mispronouncing it like it's, you know, Hindu or something. And it's the hooks. You know, like my... Um, what triggers me. Oh. And education is... I'm triggered by because I think a lot of people put emphasis on academic knowledge, which is just like what you just said earlier. You know, book knowledge was so well demonstrated in Goodwill Hunting. Mm. You know, that scene where he's all like, next month you're going to read blah, 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 and you're going to be spotting... This whole you know, new, yeah. Right. Like, so, so their institutions, I believe, in themselves create problems. Yeah. That's kind of the dynamic aspect of an institution. And... Yeah, like part of what I love in our group, look, we're a group of like 6 to 12 on any given Thursday, right? Mm-hmm. And we are learning to coexist with a plethora 
of characters, characteristics, belief systems, needs, ways to communicate. And that's only six to ten of us. And, and we have a guide who guides extremely well. Yes. And one thing that she does is she helps us understand that the way we are wired is the problem. <laughs> and to rewire yourself right, right. so that you can start firing off in a better way. Right. right? And that breakdown, I mean, one-third of what we do on Thursday nights is basically breaking, changing the way that we are wiring ourselves and learning how to not only be better at our autonomy, but also make better decisions in care and in connection and community with others. That I think is amazing. It's never, I'm working on myself. You're working on yourself within a group, within a society, within a class of people or a race of people or religion of people. We're constantly working on that, but it's always in community. You can't really take yourself out of it. So I can only be as good as I can be within my community. So I have a really hard time living in a capitalistic society because in order for me to not be supporting this capitalistic society, I have to completely remove myself. And I don't, and I am obviously too scared to do that. I obviously care more about myself in community, even if it's a negative one. How many times are we in relationships knowing that this isn't the healthiest relationship to be in, but you're, the hurt that you know sometimes is more comfortable than the hurt you don't know might be existing if you change and you go to something else. Just that fear alone won't even let you go there sometimes. It's a beautiful world for you. It's a beautiful world. Not me. It's a beautiful world. It's a beautiful world. It's a beautiful world. It's a beautiful world.